0: This podcast features discussions about finance and money, which are general in nature. This means that it has been prepared without taking into account your specific objectives and financial needs. We suggest that before acting on this information, you seek out professional advice. Hey folks, welcome along to another episode of the Money Mechanics Podcast, where we are unpacking the money stuff. I'm your host, Scott Malcolm, and today we're going on another venture down the property path. Australian property, the asset that just doesn't seem to ever want to calm down or or slow down. Um, Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Lorna Wang, uh, who is a buyer's advocate, but also a property investor. Lorna, I'll get you to do a bit of an intro of yourself in a moment, but I guess I've been really excited to have a chat to you because you've been in media before talking about rent vesting. And so, Again, with property prices uh, going a little bit crazy uh, at the moment, it's probably a reasonable strategy for people to look at and consider, well, I want to be in the property market, but I can't be where I want to be. Um, So it'd be great to get your insights on that. So welcome along today, Lorna. Great to have you here.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Scott. Really appreciate it. Um, But yeah, in terms of property, yeah, Australia just seems to love it. It's you know, never tanked in the past. And, you know, it's just goes up and up. And yeah, again, you know, we're at that record where the dwelling values are totaling $10 trillion, even after 13 interest rate rises.
0: Yeah, that is crazy. And look, today, I guess I wanted to hear a bit about your personal experience on being a an investor and getting into the property market uh, on that rent vesting uh, journey that you've been on but also i guess give people some insights to maybe where the property market is at the moment and what either people who are already in the market can be thinking about or people who are trying to get into that that hurdle of the market but before we start i've been asking all our guests about an early happy money memory that you're happy to share
1: Yeah, probably one that really does stand out would definitely have to do with my first job that I ever got, which was a pharmacy assistant back when I was 15 years old. So long, long time ago now, Um, but I was being paid $9.50 an hour, which is you know pretty cool, I guess, for a 15-year-old first earning money. Now, kind of a bit of a context behind that story as well, I guess for me growing up throughout schooling, primary and high school. My teachers, they used to always write that I was a conscientious student. And so that obviously flowed through into my work ethic as well. Um, now, kind of like coming back to that story of you know getting my first job and everything, after a couple of months of working there, I turned 16. Um, and at the time, my boss, well, at the end of the shift, my boss had pulled me aside um, and he told me he was going to give me a pay rise, which was like moving forward, I was going to get $10 per hour. Honestly, I was just stoked about getting like a pay rise. And even though it was only 50 cent increase per hour, like to me, it honestly represented so much more. I think it just showed that if I did work hard or if I did do well, I was going to get more than, (laughs) you know, I was going to get a pay rise eventually. And obviously that has, you know, throughout my career, it's grown, to more than ten dollars an hour these days
0: (laughs) fantastic and do you remember were you saving for anything specifically or were you doing anything uh fun with that money or was it more just around earning it and and having it and going wow i've got my own independence
1: i'd definitely say i was more of a saver i've always been a bit of a saver i think it's partially because of the way i grew up as well um and when you don't have a lot you know you tend to (laughs) be someone that wants to i guess um keep it and everything and to be honest like one thing when I did start making money, I remember, you know, obviously saving to a certain amount. And my mom, she actually brought up the fact that you can make money with your money. And the way she did it, or the way she, you know, um, had suggested it was to open a term deposit, <laughs> which is actually very normal in like the Asian community. That's how I guess, you know, people would um, kind of, yeah, just leave their money in this bank account and just, yeah, get interest from it, which is, you know, probably one of the worst ways to <laughs> make money um, to be honest there's definitely way better ways of doing it um, but yeah that's that's quite normal in, in our community
0: yeah and it's safe as well like again generationally as well like I think people go yeah term deposits and, and having cash and knowing that the the money is there and I guess that that's really interesting so you you bought your first property at, at 22 if I'm remembering rightly and so how did you start that journey you've just told the, the story there and you know I'm, I'm Often talk about being the product of career public servants, and so my parents are, are quite risk averse when it comes to life and investment and, and those sort of things. But how did you navigate jumping into the property market for the first time at uh, at just twenty two?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, you know, I had to first. List- first save for the deposit. My, my boss at the time, he knew I was saving, didn't really know what I was doing with it, but he had brought up that he was buying investment properties himself. And obviously, you know, that kind of sparked my interest about potentially investing in property. And to be honest, like, I, I went into it just very naive. I didn't know a lot about property investing and ultimately, I think it was probably the second weekend that I went around to open homes, that I ended up putting down an offer for this two bed unit that I bought and secured it. But yeah, I there wasn't a lot of research, to be honest. You know, I was just really looking at what I could afford and in the areas that I knew, I thought, you know, obviously things like shopping centers, schools, train stations, you know, those were the th- sorts of things that I'd need to look out for if I was to buy an investment property. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of, like, how I came to it. And to be honest, like, it's so easy to just sign on the dotted line when it comes to the contract of sale. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't always work out when it comes to um, having that money invested in that asset.
0: Yeah, definitely, and and look, I think that that first time investing as well. I don't know if it, for you it got easier uh, as as you went through different transactions, but often uh, say so to people as well, it's a human experience and response. Like we we are human beings and we're emotional human beings, and so uh, when we go to buy a property or do a big transaction like that, it is it's nerve wracking. It's the first time we've done it, and yeah. it, it can be as simple as you say signing a a, a contract or handing over a, a deposit of a few thousand dollars, and you go wait a minute what have I done <laughs> what, <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> yeah a hundred percent I like my literally when I was in the real estate agent's office and I was you know signing the contract my hand was shaking <laughs> so you know it's it's a huge commitment I mean it's several hundred thousand of dollars that you're putting down um and so it's like Am I do I know what I'm doing? That that's sort of like those sorts of questions and you know it's like a 30 year loan that you're taking on and it's like can I sustain it?
0: <laughs> so so true. And and I think again for listeners if you are starting out on that journey or if you haven't bought an investment property before it's very normal to to have those emotional responses and those feelings and so I think Part of it is is disarming it by, by talking about it and, and having that conversation go, well, wow, this feels a little bit uncomfortable. It's a bit about outside of my comfort zone. But as you, you touched on before, it's probably around doing that research as well. And so, I guess, what, what have you learned? Obviously, you've moved into the property space as a buyer's advocate now. So, you, you clearly love property. Mm. What, what have you learned, I guess, through your journey being a property investor and also, I guess, doing a, a few transactions when it comes to buying investment property?
1: I guess- from my experience and from what I see with a, a lot of clients that come through the doors and other stories that I hear, you know, not everyone does well when it comes to property investing. Yes, over a long period, property, you know, has increased very well <laughs> in in terms of growth and everything. And it's a lot of um, it's a definitely an asset that a, a lot of people are able to get very wealthy off. But yeah, it doesn't always work out for people. Um, so for example, you know, I've heard when people have bought in WA or in Perth when there was like that mining boom back in around about 2012, 2013, and they bought it in the peak, and then a couple of years later, those properties, you know, they've halved in value. And so you, you hear those stories and then, you know, you hear other stories where, for example, you know, people have bought properties thinking that they could, you know, rent out the granny flat. Turns out that that granny flat wasn't built with council approval and therefore, you know, it couldn't be a dual occupancy. And so, you know, they're stuck with renting out the whole thing, whereas initially they would have bought it so that they could rent it out separately. So those are the sorts of stories that I hear a lot of Um, and, yeah, I think there's a lot of misconception that you know it's just about buying any property.
0: Mm. When it comes to the current market, I guess you, you, you're in the space. And so we have seen, as you said before, 13 interest rate rises. Um, expectation was that property might sort of slow a little bit, but we have all these other drivers in the background and, and probably demand is one of those big drivers. And so what are you seeing in the the market at the moment from, I guess, a general view of what people should be looking for or where where there's affordability.
1: Yeah, there's at the moment there's definitely still many markets that are really affordable. Half of Australia at the moment, houses are still under $700,000, which is still fairly affordable even with those rate increases. And I remember when the rate rises first started back in May last year, you know, people were waiting to see what interest rates were doing and a lot of people were predicting that everyone's going to be selling up, like, you know, everyone's doomed and house prices are going to fall and everything. But I mean, overall, if anything, like, you know, it's back to its record high. There's so many other factors when it comes to property values. Um, It's not just interest rates. And even when it comes to purchasing property or purchasing an investment property, it's way more than that because over time interest rates are always going to change they're never going to be stagnant um, and even if you do fix your interest rate for say you know three years or something like that, a loan terms thirty years, <laughs> and so you know you, your interest rates are always going to change, and that's why the way I see it is that if you have the ability to invest, if you have the right buffers, if you have the right asset, if you can afford it you know, go for it. Like there's, there's nothing really to lose. And when it comes to property, is it, it is a long game. And so, you know, you shouldn't be buying based on, you know a certain period of time either yeah
0: definitely and I think again people would say like running your numbers and just being really mindful of of where you're at at that moment in time now obviously on on your story you you started investing at 22 you are rent vesting still is that is that the case so you're still renting while you uh, invest in the the background so how's that uh, how's that going for you I, I think last time we spoke you, you said you're living in a share house and so I'm assuming that's still uh still working okay
1: yeah look when it comes to property prices in Sydney you do have to find a way to to kind of survive (laughs) um and and for me like you know living in a share house it does mean that my living expenses you know they're not astronomical and I'm able to kind of you know I'm, I'm happy to live with people as well
0: yeah, and, and look, I think that's the reality of of where we're at. Like, you as you say, look at, at property prices in Sydney, uh, especially, and then even even Melbourne. And it is about sacrifice. Some people are fortunate enough to say, "Yep, yeah, okay, I've got my privilege. I got I got a deposit from parents or whatever it may be." But again, when it comes to you, you've haven't had to save to build up your deposit, and so if you then do your numbers and go, "Hey, I could go and buy a property to live in myself," you're probably not then going to be able to build up financial independence outside of that, and so. It's not going to be right for everybody, but I think it is actually about going through that process and saying, hey, do I rent where I, I want to be? And as in your situation, being able to live in a shared house and, and with a group of people, it's actually probably giving you a community as well that you get to connect into yeah. compared to taking on a, a mortgage that isn't tax deductible. And again, that might be a whole other episode and a debate that, uh, <laughs> around tax reform. But yeah. yeah, I think it's just considering some of those elements based on your your personal situation.
1: Yeah, no, there's definitely like benefits when it comes to rent vesting, right? Like if you do buy a house to, to live in, there is no tax benefits there. And at the end of the day, it is up to, I guess, what you ultimately want as well. But rent vesting, it also gives me that flexibility and especially because- you know, I'm free. It's not like I'm tied to kids or like dependents and, or or anything. So I have the flexibility of moving somewhere else one day. Um, And the thing is like, if you do buy a place, you're kind of stuck there for however many years, because it costs you a lot of money to first buy the property, things like stamp duty, and then other costs associated with buying it. But then if you are to sell up, then, you know, it's going to cost you to sell the place like you've got your agency fees that you've got to pay and advertising and and yeah so that's why sometimes it doesn't always make sense to just buy a place to live in
0: yeah definitely and and look again for for people listening uh ramit said he uh out of the us has got some really great resources but he actually uh often talks about if you're a renter the rent you pay is the maximum cost you, you pay for housing. Uh, whereas as a homeowner, um, your, your mortgage is basically the minimum cost you're going to be paying because again, and, and in Australia, the, the market is very different to the US in regards to how interest rates work and, and how our mortgages work. But you've got, again, costs on top of that. You've got strata, you've got potentially maintenance costs, you've got rates, uh, all the other fun, fun things that come into play. So. I think it is a reality of, of doing your numbers, owning a home, and I think from an overall perspective, you want to have some asset uh, in the property market because, uh, as we've talked, it does do well over the long term, um, but it's about just getting your game plan right at the end of the day. Uh, Lorna, I guess from, from your perspective, so how, how many properties do you own at the moment? Now I'm getting all personal with you. Oh, what do you own at the moment?
1: <laughs> um, so at the moment, I hold five properties. Uh, one unit which I bought when I was 22 and then the rest are houses they're spread across four different states and yeah I I purchased them the last one I purchased was back in January 2021 so I bought them they were all under 400k at the time and yeah so far obviously I've seen 30 to 70 percent capital growth in the four the four houses that I bought when I was a client of the buyers agency that i work for
0: Yeah wow wow and past numbers you never go oh yes it's going to going to happen in the future but I guess that's where it's really important for people to sit back and and do their own numbers and work out what their their game plan is. Because I'm guessing as well, uh, you would have seen interest rates go up a little bit since then. So how have you been navigating uh, that in the background from a cash flow perspective, I guess, in in general terms, not uh, (laughs) necessarily all the personal terms, but how's that been for you? Because you've probably uh, been feeling a lot of those those interest rate rises uh, coming along. Yeah, I
1: guess, look, interest rates, they do play a part of it. And I remember Remember, you know when the interest rates were increasing we're like okay well obviously that's going to change the cost of holding these properties for the I guess properties that I do have as well like at the end of the day rents will always increase as well and so that also plays a part into it um, and especially when it comes down to the locations that I bought the properties that I bought um, with my buyer's agent at the time you know we're also looking in areas where they're is low vacancy rates. Um, So, you know, over time, rents have increased, which has obviously helped with the mortgage, with the interest rates, etc. So, look, I'm okay um, when it comes down to it, and it's part of doing, or it's part of property investing, you know, you just have to deal with it. Um, But when, when it comes down to working out the cash flow and everything we do make you know we do have buffers to make sure that our clients are going to be okay when it comes to purchasing a property and that they're comfortable with it so yeah, it's just really important to do do your due diligence before you sign anything, before you go ahead and purchase the property.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and look, we often say to clients who are looking at a, a property or, or any sort of investment um, that may involve borrowing that they're you're really looking at the the current interest rate, even in current terms, at, at sort of the, the five to to six percent rate is a uh, is probably best rate in market at the moment. Um, but adding uh, two or even three percent to that rate just to see that you can uh, afford the the interest rate if it goes up to that point and so um as you say, it's about having a, a strategy and having your, your framework in play to, to make that work. When it comes to, I guess, from an investment perspective, and so you touched on, okay, four hundred dollars uh, to, to $500,000 properties, they're probably a little bit hard to find uh, that are sort of investment grade, I guess, in, in current market. But what what are some of the drivers that you look for uh, when you're assisting clients uh, in the property space uh, at, the, at the moment?
1: Yeah, firstly, it definitely have to be in a location where there is you know a stable economy whether it's one that's i guess recovering or one that's i guess a growing one so you know we look at things like economic diversity unemployment rate you know what's the ownership versus renter proportion um, what sort of infrastructure projects is happening in that area so you know those are the sorts of metrics we need to look at when it comes to overall Um, now diving deeper into that, the next level you'd go into would be your micro data. And that would involve things like your property sales data. So we'd look at what are the metrics or how the metrics trending. So we'll look at things like your days on market, your vacancy rates, your vendor discounting, sales volumes, you know, all those have to kind of align it to, to kind of see areas or find areas that are going to see capital growth as well. So yeah, those are the sorts of, I guess, metrics that we'll look at before we even go and start searching on the ground for the right property for our clients.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think, again, it's that um, running your own personal numbers as well, and, and understanding your own personal cash flow uh, is, is probably crucial um, to that. I know it's it's often people that uh, get bored with me when they come into the office, and I say, "Hey, what's what's your cash flow numbers? What what do you need to to fund your day to day lifestyle?" And, oh Scott, I don't want to talk about that. Like, I just money comes in and we we spend it, but it's actually a really crucial part to your overall investment framework because at the end of the day as Lauren just said before, you need to have buffers in play and you need to make sure that you've got those things there. And, again, as Lauren, you've just said before as well, it's not just always uh, happy plain sailing. And so that's where you need to have your, your emergency buffers in play as well over time.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, and the thing is, like, a lot of people, they don't like doing that sort of stuff. They don't like, they don't like looking at the numbers or they're not – that's not what they're interested in, right? And so, you know, having someone like yourself, Scott, who, you know, is a financial planner – you kind of do all that legwork and you kind of dive deep and, and make sure that your clients are okay. Um, so, that, yeah. For, for me, that's what I do in the property space when it comes to purchasing an investment.
0: Exactly. And look, it is, it's just building your team around you as well, I think, from that perspective to go, like, you can go and do this stuff yourself. And again, you, you've sort of credited your your buyer's agent uh, at the time in helping you navigate that that process. And I guess sometimes the navigation is actually helping to give you confidence to to follow through with the, the decision that you're about to make. And so I think that's uh, really important to to keep in mind as well. Because again, you can help present some options to clients who are looking at that as a as a path. At the end of the day, and and so generally, you, you said before diversified. I, I love what you said. You, you've got properties in uh, in many different uh, states, so you haven't just gone uh, for the the single state uh, approach, which is great. Are there are there pro- uh, states that are sort of more affordable than others at this moment in time?
1: Yeah, no, there there are definitely still affordable markets. Um, there's an affordable market in every state. Um, there is something for everyone you just got to you know f- find the right mark and and the thing is like when before when you mentioned there it's about creating that team i think one of the most underrated things that people don't see is like creating that team creating that trusted network that has your back that can kind of look out for the your blind spots i think that's crucial us as people we're just so we're just so focused on one thing that we won't see other things. Like, for example, we'll, we might see people who are just so specific, like so focused on just purchasing in one area that they will find the data to back that up. so yeah that's definitely something that happens quite often
0: yeah and I think that's great like looking at looking at your own biases and going okay actually I want some people around me and so I think yeah financial planners can help with the the longer term game planning and saying, okay where does this form as a a part of your long-term framework Uh, is it about financial independence is it about um, getting into the property market so you can eventually buy your own house one day what's the actual game plan for you what's important to you at the end of the day and what's the ideal outcome. That driver behind why you are investing is crucial and so important at the end of the day. You don't just go and buy a property because, oh, I heard on a podcast I should go and buy a property. It's got to have some context. So it's got to fit your framework and and your longer term uh, outcomes. Having your accountant in play uh, so that you can navigate any of the tax uh, and and compliance obligations that you've got. A mortgage broker will help you then to determine, okay, what can I borrow? How can I make this work? And then a buyer's agent or a, or a property specialist can then help you navigate those elements. So someone like Lorna can go, hey, okay, we know what you can afford to borrow. Okay, we know what you're looking for. Are you looking for capital growth? Are you looking for income? Are you looking for a combination of, of both? Um, and then again, based on the the data and the information, uh, can start to pull together some resources and opportunities for you there as well, which is um which is pretty exciting. Lorna, I guess to, to flip back, so you're Your backstory, I guess. You, I think, if I've got all this right, you're. Second generation, so your your, your mum uh, migrated to to Australia. Uh, single parent family, so again, that's I guess got some some big th- hurdles to navigate as well. Your mum must be pretty proud of of what you've done and and how you're going at the moment. From that perspective, um, what's what's of the conversations that you've had with her? Is she still uh, a term deposit uh, person, or uh, is she uh, <laughs> yeah open now to oh, I'm seeing my daughter do this. Oh, I might uh, might look at some <laughs> other options as well.
1: Look, um, with my mom, she, I definitely have to say, um, she's proud of me, which is really nice. Um, but one thing I remember when I first, I think after I bought my second one with my buyer's agent, she was a little bit like hesitant about me going for the third and fourth. She's like, like, should you be going like again? Um, She was actually, you know, kind of being like, maybe, you know, maybe you should stop. But now looking back and seeing how, I guess, property property prices have increased, she's like, yeah, you did the right thing. (laughs) Glad you didn't listen to me. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, to be honest, like she is still very like risk adverse, but I I think it it definitely helped her realise that I've grown up and that I can make my own choices as well. Because I think, especially being of like an Asian background as well, um, you know, typically our parents, you know, they want to control what we do. Um, and, and I see that with a lot of my cousins, a lot of, uh, I guess, friends as well. And and a lot of the stories that I hear from other kids who are, uh, you know, who are Asian.
0: Yeah. And, and look, family of origin and cultural and, and other dynamics do have a big bearing on our our money stories and and how we navigate this stuff and so again look my my hat off to you for um going through that process and i guess making the sacrifices when you're young and and starting out on that investment journey because it isn't easy. That shaking when you're signing the the first uh, contract. It's not an easy process, and so it is actually acknowledging that that very human experience as you go through it. And and sure, um, property prices aren't always going to do the massive increases that we've seen. But that's why it's really important to do your own numbers. Uh, again, the cash flow is where the rubber hits the road at the end of the day. And so, if you own property at the moment, or if you're thinking about buying investment property, I always just say to people, make sure you run your cash flow numbers because that is going to determine, can I keep affording the lifestyle that I've got today? Um, and again, you can sacrifice for for a little bit of time, but life does change. And so you just want to make sure you've got those, those balances there as well.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you want to minimise the risks as much as possible when it comes to it because, yeah, like regardless, you know, if you put down a couple hundred grand on a property as well, sometimes it is you know you might want to think about it before and and have someone look over it and and assist you on that sort of purchase because it's one of the biggest biggest i guess purchases people will ever make in their lifetime too
0: yeah. And look, we often do say the system is far from perfect. And so, again, if people aren't in the property market already, you might be going, oh, more people talking about property prices and yeah, they got in at the right time and those sort of things. Look, don't lose hope. I think um, there's always a game plan and a, and a framework to navigate to get into the market. And so, I think it's really just about trying to navigate that that path and, and live your own path as well. But as I really wanted to have the chat with Lorna today because It's just inspiring to hear a a success story like this. As you've said, Lorna, it hasn't always been easy. But I guess any parting uh, tips or insights that you want to share with people before we wrap up today?
1: Yeah, probably for me, you know, one thing is that if you don't fully understand it, don't put your money into it. I've made those mistakes, you know, not just with my first property, but also with a couple of other things (laughs) like, you know, your cryptos, your shares, (laughs) that sort of thing, having a little bit of a dabble in them, um, you know, realizing that, yeah, if you don't have the information, of you don't know what you're fully doing, just it's better not to touch it.
0: Yeah, I do. I do love that. And any good professional out there is happy to have a conversation with you and educate you around what you're trying to get in, involved with. So uh, again, hopefully you, you avoid the the salesy people. There are still unfortunately a lot of the salesy people around out there, but I think the more you're able to sit down and talk to people and say, hey, I want some education about this. I want to understand it more. That helps you to build up your your confidence. And I, I guess I love what you said then around you've learned a few lessons, but I guess sometimes we do have to jump in. Hopefully it's, it's not with all, all the bad uh, mistakes that you learn from that. But the, the lessons that we learn on some of the, the things that haven't gone uh, to plan uh, are often the, the best uh, life lessons at the end of the day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, hopefully, you know, yeah, it's definitely not something that you'd want to go through, but sometimes you do have to make those mistakes to just realize it right
0: yeah definitely definitely and and look again as long as there's a, a way to navigate uh, out of it as well and that's why i think before you jump into something doing your numbers is really important and then i guess the the power of hindsight is always a, a, an amazing thing but we, we obviously don't have that when we're making decisions sometimes look Lon, we, we keep this episode short and sweet and it, it has been amazing talking with you today i'll put your contact uh, information on the show notes or in the show notes as well and maybe a link to some of the other property investor magazine articles and uh, other things that you've been on so people can read more of your background story but um, thank you so much for coming along and and sharing your story
1: thanks scott
0: thanks folks hope you've enjoyed this episode and as always check out the show notes uh, and like or uh, share this episode if you've uh, found it valuable we'll see you next time